All right. Scott Duvall. Um, we're on our series, Working for the Man, and we've been interviewing and talking with folks that are working and trying to be a Christian and doing it all at the same time. And this is Scott Duvall. Scott, introduce yourself. Tell, tell them what your function is Monday through Friday. I'm a manager of wireless security at Bluegrass Cellular. That means I'm a legal hacker. A legal hacker. I feel safer. Thank you. Scott, what does it mean for you to be a Christian at work? Um, I think to be a Christian at work, you need to be, first and foremost, an honest person, dependable person, um, faithful person, someone um, that's worthy of respect. Just all the virtues you can think of in the Bible, the virtues your parents taught you, that's that's what we need to model in the workplace. And uh, is that easier or hard for you at, at where you work? Uh, we've had a few people say it's easy and a few people say it's hard. So what about you? Um, right now it's a little harder than it has been in the past. Um, I've worked in a lot of different places over the years, and some were run by Christians. Uh, the partners were Christian. Some of them weren't. And right now we have a very large workforce with a lot of different people in it. So it is a little harder now. Um, but with that being said, I, I work with a lot of people that aren't Christians, so that's a great place to witness and, and show them the love of Christ where maybe in the past where when I worked with people that were predominantly Christian, you just talked about what you sang on Sunday morning or the sermon. So, sure. um, Give an example of how being a Christian has led you to do your work differently. What does a Christian manager of IT wireless security do differently than a non-Christian manager of IT wireless security? Um, I think in, in the corporate world nowadays, there's a lot of chance to climb the corporate ladder, and in the process, you can stab people in the back sometimes. Um, strategic gossip can maybe put you ahead of someone else. And um, I, as a Christian, you just can't, you can't fall for that. You have to stand apart from it. And sometimes that might put you in a position where you don't um, rise to the top like you normally would. Sometimes it's better, you know, like, like you've been talking about in Daniel's case. It may put you in a better place. I don't think that the point of our of our work should be, you know, the direction we're going, but to do God's work in any place we're at. So, well, great. Um, how have you seen God at work in your workplace? Um, we used to sponsor some some charity for uh, around Christmas time for different groups, uh, people that were needy, and just because of time constraints and the workload that's on us, uh, we haven't been able to do that. Uh, just as a from a business perspective. So there's been a lot of people that are, um, that work with me that are still doing that on their own. So it's been great to be part of that. And then I also see a lot of Christians in the workplace that aren't afraid to share their faith and are there to help people out if they're struggling. So it, it's pretty heartening to see that. That's great. Uh, the last question, and, and this is your kind of unique question is, is how have you navigated a situation where maybe what you thought God was calling you to do was different from what maybe your workplace expected of you or what, what you were asked to do at work? Um, in college, I learned about that certain psychological scenario where someone was getting beat up on the street and, you know, 10 people watched it happen. And I always told myself, I don't want to be that person. So I've always... The told one that myself, got beat up or the one that walked by? <laughs> Either one. <laughs> So I've always told myself as a Christian that if something compromised my morals or my Christian beliefs, I wouldn't be part of it. Or if somebody needed help in the workplace, I'd always be part of that. So luckily, I haven't been in that scenario where I've had to, you know, leave because of that. But I've kind of seen it from the reverse perspective. Um, and to, to describe that, um, at one place where I worked, 
there w- it was a Christian environment, and there was one person that wasn't kind of following along with that. They were causing a lot of stress on people through the ways that they acted and the things they said. A lot of people didn't want to even come to work. And so I went and confronted that person, you know, Christian to Christian. And that was very hard because they were they were higher up than me. And uh, it just wasn't good to have to confront somebody like that at work. But the really sad thing about that was that person was a pastor. And so when you're, in, when you're a Christian, you, you're doubly responsible for the way that you act in work or in life, in your family, anywhere. And with that being said, though, I think... Um, Christians should be the first ones to be able to spread grace that God gives us. And I see a lot of Christians in the workplace that like to point fingers and point out sin. And they're doing it out of goodwill. You know, that's how they want to share the gospel. But that's to someone that's unchurched or doesn't believe, they don't know what sin yet is yet. So I think our point as Christians is to respect the grace that God's given us and spread that in our workplace. And I think that's the natural order, and that will bring people to Christ more than pointing the finger. And so... Awesome. Well, thank you, Scott. And um, I, I hope you all have been appreciating these conversations. I know many of you have told me uh, as much, and, and we'll have several more um, as we go through the rest of this uh, series. Um, you know, Scott, one of the things mentioned uh, was values, how there are different values um, between, you know, where, where we are right now and, and where you're going to be tomorrow uh, morning at the same time. And value is one of those things that sort of is a, gets us into trouble sometimes. But when we don't have the same appreciation, uh, we don't hold the same value for something, sometimes that leads into conflict and, and embarrassing situations. I, I read about one this week, um, a, a burglar in Vancouver, um, he stole, I want to get the number right on this, he stole a coin collection uh, estimated to be valued over $100,000. Um, he and his girlfriend had been working at this lady's house, and they found boxes of coins, uh, you know, just kind of the spare change you have, and they, uh, they took it. And the police found them, and they were spending these coins at the movie theater and at a pizza shop. And they had actually used a quarter that was valued as high as $18,000 and spent it at its face value. $18,000 will get you a lot of movie tickets, friends, but twenty-five. how many 25-cent pieces does it take to get in? A whole bunch. This is what they'd done. They, they had totally missed what it was they had stolen. Now, it's, it's terrible to have something stolen from you at any point in time, but is it not doubly insulting to have somebody steal and then not even appreciate what they took? I mean, I mean, really, oh my goodness, at least if they had stolen it and then had sort of fenced it and got, you know, at least half of the value, I mean, you'd feel a little better about it. At least they had the intelligence to know what they'd stolen and what to do with it. But these morons, what do they do? They're like, well, I found somebody's loose change. Let's go get a hot dog. I mean, what? that's horrible. They just totally missed it. They just missed it. And this is kind of a funny illustration, but... Really, when values collide, bad things happen. Uh, This happens in Daniel chapter 3. Because of time, I'm not going to read the whole story, but but, but in in Daniel chapter 3, we see the king. This is uh, Daniel's boss. And Daniel 
He's left off in chapter 2 for a little while. It says that Daniel works in the court, and now we shift in chapter 3 out into the provinces where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel's close associates, are found to be working. And in Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar has a great idea, he thinks, to build a, a monument, scholars believe, maybe is as high as 90 feet tall and 9 feet uh, wide, uh, this huge uh, statue of some sort. Now, now we're not sure what the statue is. It, it might be of a god. It might be of Nebuchadnezzar himself. That's what most people tell you in Sunday school. It might really just be a pole. Um, the ancients were frequently constructing poles for, for different purposes, and, and, and it might have been that. Uh, regardless, Nebuchadnezzar builds this pole the statue, he covers it with gold, and then he says, all right, this is amazing. This, this thing I've made is beautiful. I love it. I value it. And so he, he has a grand opening for it, and he calls, uh, the text says, all of the officials, and so you get the magistrates and the justices and, and the, you know, the satraps and all these other people that they've got, they bring them all out, all of the who's who uh, of leadership uh, and all the people that want to be in the who's who of leadership show up to the grand opening of the Nebuchadnezzar statue, and they're all told that when the music plays, they should bow down and give worship to this idol. They should bow down and give value to the idol. And Nebuchadnezzar says, if you don't, I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace. Now, you read the story, and at first blush, you're like, well, that's really convenient that he's got this fiery furnace just right there next to the statue. But, but truth be told, they, they didn't build a fiery furnace to throw people in it. They used the fiery furnace to build the idol. You've got the gold. You've got to melt gold if you're going to make something, and there's probably metal inside. So they've, they've been building this, and, and you've got to have a big furnace to build something 90 feet tall. And so there's this big furnace nearby, and Nebuchadnezzar wants to give a little extra inspiration. If you're not inspired by the 90-foot gold image, uh, and you don't want to just naturally bow down and worship it, then perhaps the fiery furnace will be enough motivation to get you to that place. And what happens? Now, we know the story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse to give worship to it. This is something that if you've been in church for a while, you know this is true. And, and this is point one here is that your values will not always align with the world. Uh, they just won't. I wish they did but they don't. Sometimes in life, we face what I would say competing values, good values, where maybe if you're in management and you've got an employee who maybe you're going, there needs to be some correction here, and, and you've got competing values. You're, you're torn between justice and compassion. Justice and compassion, and, and they're both good, and maybe they both would have merit at this point, and so you're kind of stuck in this quandary of, do I have justice or do I have compassion? But that's not at all what we're talking about here. When it comes to the world's values and God's values, it's not a competition of good and better or better and best. It's a competition between good and bad, right and wrong, and there's not really a medium solution there somewhere. It's one or the other. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they know that. James describes this. In James chapter 4, he says, Adulterers, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. N note here that it doesn't just say whoever is a friend of the world. It says whoever wants to be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. 
What does being a friend of the world do? Well, he describes it here in verse 1 of chapter 4. He says, Conflicts and disputes among you, where do they come from? Do they not come from your cravings that are at war within you? What is a craving? It is this intense feeling of value. Stick with me for a second. If I want that, then I put a high value on that, and I prize it, and I say, this is important to me, and I want it bad. It's supremely important to me. James is saying that there are values inside of you, wants inside of you, desires inside of you that lead to conflict. He says, you want something and do not have it. So what do you do? Worst case scenario, he says, you commit murder. You covet something and cannot obtain it, so you engage in disputes and conflicts you do not have because you do not ask. This is asking God implied. Verse 3 says, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly in order to spend what you get on your pleasures. In other words, you treat God as a means to an end, and the end is satisfying what you want, your values that are inside of the world. Now, what is it that makes the world's values and God's values so diametrically opposed to each other? The answer, I think, is fairly straightforward. The world operates in the assumption that everything is in this closed system. Our our reality is a closed system. What you see is what you get. Okay, that's it. Nothing more, nothing less. And and if you don't get it for yourself, nobody's going to go get it for you. And so if I'm going to be a friend of the world, I'm going to have the values of the world, then I better get what I can get while I can get it. And if I don't get it, then nobody's going to do it for me. And so it does lead to coveting because I want what you've got and I don't have it. And so I'm going to take yours. And if you get in my way, you better watch out. But the Christian has a completely different set of values. The Christian says, you know what, that what we really want isn't even here. You can't even see it. And, and if I do want it, James has already said that God is the giver of all good gifts. How many gifts is that? That's every single one. So if you get something good, James says it's come from God in one way or the other. The Christian views the world as an open system in which God is free to bless his people. And because God is free to bless his people, I'm free to be compassionate. I'm free to be merciful. I'm free to be as Christ is to me. That's the difference. The difference is I know that God is able to act in the world and that the thing that I really value isn't even here. And that doesn't always set well with the world. You get a guy like Nebuchadnezzar who's built up something. He says, this is of supreme importance to all of you. This is a life or death issue. You have to value this. And as a believer, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, no, I, I can't do it. Now, for us, we're kind of like torn here because we're like, wow, you could bow down to the statue and live another day or you could be thrown into the fiery furnace. I mean, let's think about this here real quick. What's, what's the problem? But they saw that the real issue was this, that if I put my investment, my emotional investment, my spiritual investment into something that does not last, it decreases my value. Let's just think about this. If those of you that are investors, what do you put your money into? You put your money into something that is going to at least hold its value or increase in value. Nobody who buys stocks goes, you know what? I'm going to buy me a whole bunch of shares of this 8-track company because I think they're going to be huge. Man, this is going to be big. I actually think they're going to go bankrupt in less than a week. It's going to be a record. I'd love to put all my money in that company. Nobody talks like that. They say, I want to put my money in this because this is a startup and this is going to be huge. It's going to be like the next Microsoft, but it's going to be micro not soft and micro something else. And it's going to be epic. And and this new 
computer company Orange is going to compete with Apple and it's going to be wild and this is the new thing. And people put their money in places that it's going to increase in value, not decrease. Now, let's just ask this question. You've got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're told to give worship to this idol of gold. And they say no. Is that a smart investment? Let me ask you this question. Do you know what that statue was? No. Do you know who it was that Nebuchadnezzar was worshiping here? No. Do we even have the statue anymore? No, it probably got raided by another country and melted down into coins. It doesn't exist. We don't even know what it is. But the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, of whom no image has ever been made, that God is a God we still know. It's a God we worship here today. That God's value has increased. You, you see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they looked at this and they said, you know what? We want to put our investment, our soul into that which is going to increase. And the only thing that does that for sure is God. But when you make that decision, the world's going to persecute you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego find this out. King Nebuchadnezzar is gracious enough to give him a shot. He says, all right, hey, listen. Uh, verse uh, 16 says this. He says, now if you're ready... When you hear the sound of horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, and the entire musical ensemble to fall down and worship the statue that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall be immediately thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? King Nebuchadnezzar's mad. Because they do not value what King Nebuchadnezzar values. They say, King Nebuchadnezzar, I, you know, that's a lovely statue. I've never seen anything quite like that. But it doesn't deserve my worship. It doesn't deserve my allegiance. It doesn't deserve my soul. And because of that, Nebuchadnezzar was furious. He was furious. How dare you not value me? How dare you not value the things that I value? Have you ever had this type of situation at work? Where, where maybe you're told to value success in the bottom line uh, over your integrity, uh, over a, a whole bunch of things, and you go, I just don't value it that much. There's a conflict there. There's a conflict there. Jesus told us it was going to happen this way. John chapter 15, Jesus says this. He says, if the world hates you, be aware it hated me before it hated you. He says, if the world doesn't assign any value to me, to, to me, it's not going to assign any value to you. If the world assigns you negative value, it's because they assigned me negative value. Do not think they're going to treat you better than they treated me. And I wish I could tell you that if you act in integrity and you do the right thing and you work hard and you honor God in your workplace, I wish I could tell you that that in the long haul is going to bring you success. But it won't. And I would be lying if I told you that it did. Sometimes our commitment to God will not bring us success in the world. Our commitment to God will not bring us success in the world. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew this. Verse 16, they replied to the king, they say, O oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to present a defense to you in this matter. If our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and out of your hand, O oh, king, let him deliver us. But if not, be it known to you, O oh, king, that we will not serve your gods and we will not worship the golden statue that you have set up. You can imagine how that goes over poorly. They're thrown into the fire, and, and if you know the story, you know that, that God does, in fact, deliver them. 
that's, I think, largely irrelevant to this testimony. The testimony is this, is that regardless of a cost, even of their own life, they said, we will not assign value to the things God does not assign value to. We will not trade our souls or make an investment in something that is not going to last. So what does that mean for you? On Monday morning, tomorrow, how's that going to play out? Let me give you these last three things. We'll just go through them all together. First is this. Tomorrow, your beliefs and values are going to be challenged. Uh, Your values are going to be noticed. And where you succeed is going to start with what you value. And you've got to figure out what your values are before Monday morning. Because here's how it goes. You know, wherever we're at, it always seems sort of the most important, doesn't it? You know, there's always things like clamoring for our attention, our priorities and our time and our investment, our money. Oh, do this, buy this, come over here, do this, be a part of this, let's do this. And it always seems really, really important. So we've got to decide before we get out there what is really, really important to us and what is not. We've got to decide what we value and what we don't value. That's a decision we've got to make ahead of time. If you're going to value the things of the world, you're going to be able to succeed. If you value the things of the world, you're going to get an easier path, perhaps, at your office or at your work environment. But is that going to last? That's the decision you've got to make right now. You've got to figure out what is most important because your values are going to be challenged. And the second thing here is this, is is your values are going to be noticed. I want you to to hold on to this. You know, on Sunday morning, it's really easy to value God. And we all go, oh, God is supremely important to me here. But on Monday, that changes. It's harder to do that. It's going to be noticed, though, what you value over the long haul. It's not to say sometimes we don't make poor investments with our spiritual energy in our lives, but... What you value over the long haul is going to be noticed. I, I, I do a lot of funerals. I'm, thankfully, I've done a lot less lately. I, I don't really like doing funerals, but I, it's part of the job. Um, and I do it. And I tell you, I, it, funerals, it's kind of fun when, when they, they always bring up the stuff that's important. They always put like these big picture boards up. And so if they were in the military, you get military pictures or, or baseball caps, their favorite team. These, these kinds of things. You can, I, I could tell you real quick what's important to people based on, on the funeral and, and the viewing and all those kinds of things. And, and, and I love going to funerals that are ones where it was a life well lived. And you've got the family that, that comes and, and one of the kids will say, you know what, man, mom sure loved us. You know, she, she really just would do anything for you. Man, that was great. She, we were important to her. She valued me. Or, or you've got a, a, a widow and she's saying, you know, man, my husband, he loved me uh, above everything. And, and they're sad, but they're happy because, they, man, there's just a satisfaction in knowing uh, the, the faithfulness of that person through their entire life. I have never heard this. I've never heard a child say uh, of a parent that died you know mom loved me almost as much as she loved her career man i was a really close second and that felt good that felt really good to be a close second i you know i wasn't quite up there but now who can expect to be there i've never heard that i've never heard a widow say you know what my husband had as much love and passion for me almost as much as he did for his job yeah you know i was i was a close second 
And that felt really good. That felt really good. I've never heard that. Never. I've also, conversely, never heard a boss come to the office and say, man, this guy would do whatever it took to close a deal. I wish I had 10 guys like this guy. I've never heard that. Never heard that. I've done a lot of funerals. I've never heard that. Your values are noticed. Maybe not now, maybe not later. And let's say you fool everybody. You make it all the way through the funeral and everybody's fooled on what you valued. You're not going to kid God. Okay, you're going to eventually get past the funeral and you're going to get to what we call judgment day, right? And you're going to get there and there's two responses really that Scripture records. Response one goes something like this. Well done. You knew what was important and you served it. Well done, good and faithful servant. You invested in what lasted. Come now into your reward. That's response one. Response two is recorded in Matthew 25. Matthew 25, a lot of people at the end of life and time come to God and they say, Lord, Lord. That word Lord is a value term, right? Oh, you are so important to me, God. Me and you were like this, right? We're tight. And there's a response there that Christ tells us about. He says, I'm going to say to those people, I'm sorry, I, I, I don't know what your name is. Could you give that to me? I, I don't know you. I don't know you. You didn't really value me. Until right now. Those are the two responses. There's not a middle one. There's not one where God goes, well, let's just flip a coin. And if it's heads, we'll let you in. If it's not, well, it's tough luck. You're right on the border. It's not there. It's not there. It's not there. The question I have for you is, what are you going to value? Are you valuing the things that are eternal? Or are you valuing the things that are temporary? Let me tell you, you can succeed in either place, but it starts with what you believe. Jesus continues in John 15, right after he said, if the world hates you, be aware it hated me first. He says this, he says, if you belong to the world, in other words, if you value the things that the world valued, and you love the things that the world loves, he says, the world would love you as its own. If you start with valuing the world, you will succeed in the world. He says, but because you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The implication is that I love you. Church, you can succeed in either place. The world or with God, the temporary or the eternal. I am asking you this morning to make a value judgment based on eternity. And to put first the things that will last to make a good investment with your life. Don't wait till the last minute to say, Lord, Lord, let's do that right now.